Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. So this morning, what I'd like us to do is uh, look at what the Word has to say about worship, and then we're going to respond accordingly. Does that sound okay? So we've got lots of things to do. Um, Just to say, David is in Market Harbour this morning. David and Deborah in Market Harbour. Chris and Ellie. I don't know if I should say this publicly. I think I can trust you all with this information. They've gone on holiday. All right. (laughs) Any burglaries now? No, there's there's not going to be any. But, you know, this morning, what a, um, over the summer, what we really want to do is focus on the Psalms. Just over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the Psalms together. And then in September, we're really going to talk about the harvest, and we're going to talk about overflow, and, and that's it's going to be fantastic. But just over these next sort of four weeks, we want to look at the Psalms together. And uh, last Sunday was great because David shared from the Psalms, and I had a Psalm that I was sort of ready to bring and share from Psalm 100, but the timing of that wasn't for last week, it's for this week. So I would like us to look together at Psalm 100, but I'm actually going to use and do it from the message, all right? So if you don't have the message Bible with you, then, I mean, by all means, turn it up, <laughs> but it's probably not going to be the same as the message. And, and I want us to look at this, the what, the who, the how, and the why of worship. So Adam, if you could put that first slide up, if we've got it. The what, the who, sorry, yeah, the what, the who, the how, and the why of worship. And in um, Psalm 100, maybe just listen to this because you may not have this version in your Bibles. Psalm 100 is a short psalm, and in the message it's broken into four chunks. And the first part of it says this, stand to your feet, applaud Yahweh, bring a gift of laughter, sing your way into his presence. And then he goes on to say this, know this, Yahweh is God and God is Yahweh. He made us, we didn't make him, we're his people, his well-tended sheep. And then it says, enter with the password, thank you. Make yourselves at home, talking praise. Thank him, worship him, for God is sheer beauty, all generous in love, Loyal always and ever. God is worthy of our worship. Worship is what we were created to do. We've talked about this before. There's something within us, a desire and a drive and an urge within us to worship, to see things. And as we see them and we're we're impressed by them or they seem beautiful to us, they're stunning to us, an overflow comes from within to say, wow, that's incredible. Look at that skyline. I looked out of my bedroom window the other night and I could see Mars in the sky. I immediately thought of Simon Rowland, and then I thought of God. <laughs> thought of Simon Rowland, I thought, what would Simon do? He'd give glory to God, so that's what I did. You know, we look at things sometimes, and we think, wow, God, you are awesome. Wow, this is beautiful. This meal is delicious. There are times when I'm sitting down eating a plate of food, and I realize, God, you're so good that you gave me taste buds. Thank you, Jesus, for steak. <laughs> I've got a witness, just the one. 
Sorry, no apologies to any vegans. Thank you, Lord, for falafel. Has anybody ever said that? I don't know. But there is, there is something within us. And, and the Westminster Shorter Catechism, we've all read it recently, says this. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. God has brought us into a relationship with him, but it's one where we enjoy him, but also we're here to glorify him, to worship him. And this first part of of this psalm that's up on the screen, the what of worship, what is worship? I want to say this. Worship is a physical expression, isn't it? It's a physical act. It's an overflow, but it's, it's my, my mind and my heart and my soul and my thoughts and my body and my voice expressing worship to God. If you're gifted as a musician, it's the opportunity to take a musical instrument and bring glory to God with the sound that that creates. Isn't that an incredible thing? That with my body, with my voice, with what I am, how God has made me, I can worship the living God. I think that's incredible. I think that's a privilege. It's an expression. You know, one of the phrases that comes up a few times in the Psalms is this, make a joyful noise to the Lord. It doesn't say make a tuneful one, it just says make a joyful one. Isn't that releasing? Thank you, Lord. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. There are so many ways we can express our worship. And and the psalmist picks them up here. Stand to your feet. Applaud Yahweh. Laughter. Bring a gift of laughter. Sing and shout. All these things that we can do. And and I just started to think about all all of the different things that are are appropriate for our worship. And, you, you know, sometimes we think, well, it's great that they are able to dance. They're the dancers. God bless the dancers. Bless the youth, because they're willing to bob around on my behalf. Well, you know what? Actually, we're all called to dance before God. We're all called at times to raise our hands. We're all called to clap. We're all called to shout. We're not left out in any of this. It's not saying, well, they'll do the dancing, and I'll do the standing. They can do the quiet bit, and I'll do the vocal bit. They can do the arms raised bit, and I'll do the folded arms. Arms in my pockets. Hands in my pockets. We've got really deep pockets, arms in your pockets, but generally just hands. But actually, you know what? When we as a people respond in the right way in expressing our worship, it is so dynamic. When you're in a room of people and everybody is praising God with all they've got, they're clapping their hands, they're dancing, they might be jumping, they might just be doing the soft shoe shuffle, Whatever it might be, they might be moonwalking for the glory of God. Everybody's shouting, everybody's praising, everybody's dancing, everybody's singing, everybody's clapping. There's a dynamic in that room that's more than just a lot of people having a good time. The Holy Spirit blesses it. And there are times in our gatherings when it's appropriate that we're on our knees or we're on our faces before Him and we're quiet or we're singing and we're singing in the Spirit or we're singing songs of worship and our arms are raised and there's a sense of just God's weighty presence among us. That's dynamic. But guess what? In both of those contexts, it's up to us to respond accordingly. The what of worship is what I do. It's what I bring. Psalm 22, 23 says, stand in awe of him. The the psalmist starts by saying, stand to your feet. Is anybody from an age where when the teacher came into the classroom, you had to stand up? 
Does that happen anymore? Probably not. It does at Covenant College, Janet, just to warn you, okay. Yeah, Patrick will tell you. At Covenant College, our Bible school down in Cardiff, um, when the speaker, the, the teacher, the lecturer is being introduced, everybody in the classroom stands until the teacher says, you may be seated. And it's a lot of fun if you're the teacher, because you can make people stand for hours. <laughs> people making notes like this, you know. But there's something about standing that's significant, isn't it? I stand up as a sign of my respect. I might feel tired. I might not feel up to it. I might feel this, that, or the other. But guess what? God is here. I'm going to stand to my feet. And there's something in our standing that changes how we feel. If we always waited to feel the right way before we did things, we'd never do anything. Do you ever not feel like going to work on a Monday morning? And it's like, until I get that feeling that I want to go to work, I'll just stay in bed. How long are you going to keep that job for? But sometimes our approach to worship is this. When I feel like worshiping you, God, then you'll get my worship. No. I worship God because he's worthy. And if God is in the house, I'm going to stand to my feet. Scientists have looked at posture and how your posture affects your mood. And they've actually said that currently, because everybody does stuff on laptops and screens, looking at their phones, everybody's looking down, everybody's slumped, and it's led to a higher rate of depression and low mood. But actually, as soon as you stand up and you put your shoulders back and you lift your head up, something changes. You feel differently. And that's just in the natural. They've noticed there are shifts and changes in the hormones in your body, not just related to exercise, but to posture. And actually, if that's in the natural, how much more in the spiritual? That I might not feel like it, but God, I'm going to stand to my feet to worship you right now. I'm going to put my shoulders back. I'm going to bring my head up. I'm a child of the King, and you're worthy of worship. And all of a sudden, how I feel starts to change in the light of who God is. That we stand in awe of Him. Or there may be times in Psalm 45, verse 11, it says, Because He is your Lord, bow down to Him. Children, if you can hear me right now, can you just bow on, the, on your knees on the floor for a second? Come on, all the kids in Hot Rock, I want you to do it. I'm going to do it with you as well. Just bow on your knees, okay? Has anybody here bowed in worship before God? There's just been times when in, the, in, in worship, nobody's asked you to do it. You just know, I need to bow right now. I need to kneel. What does that reflect? What does that represent? Submission? Reverence? And what about this? Trust. You, you're not going anywhere when you're on your knees. You can't get away from there quickly. You're stuck. But you're saying, I'm here, Lord. I'm worshipping you. I'm, I'm in reverence of you. I'm in awe of you. And I trust you. It's a wonderful thing to bow before the Lord. Thank you, kids, for doing that. We stand or we bow. We clap our hands. Psalm 47, verse 1 says this. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with a joyful cry. Guess what? Clapping and shouting is not cultural. How do I know that? Because it says, clap your hands, all you nations. Yeah. What, even the, uh, even the British? <laughs> yes, even the British. I thought that was just for, you know, the, the South Americans and the Africans who are so vibrant with their, the way that they do things. And, and, and we'll worship God in our own stiff upper lip kind of way. <laughs> no. Clap your hands, all you nations. This isn't a cultural thing. What it is, it's kingdom culture. Shout to God with a joyful cry. Me shout? Yes, you. Are you part of a nation? Then you're included. 
And something happens when we clap. We just, that applause, appreciation. And also, you know, when we clap together and, and there's a beat and there's a rhythm, it brings a oneness in our worship. That we're all on the same beat. We're all on the same page. We're worshiping together. Clap your hands. Lift your hands. Psalm 63 verse 4 says, I will bless you as long as I live. I lift my hands up to your name. What does lifting our hands do? You know, there are so many things we do because we're told to do it. But actually, lifting our hands means something, doesn't it? It means surrender. It means submission. It means, Lord, all I have, I'm giving it to you right now. What I'm holding up right now is representative of all of me. That's why we raise our hands. As a father, there's nothing, or very few things more wonderful than when your child is little and they want you to pick them up and they reach their arms. Isn't that precious when a, when a child does that? And there are times when we just, Lord, I'm, I'm lifting you up. But in that place, do you know what happens? God lifts us up. We stand, we bow, we clap, we lift our hands, we laugh in church. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with joyful shouting. And we said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Psalm 126 verse 2, that there should be joy in our worship, that we worship God with a smile on our face. Psalm 32, 11, shout for our joy all with an upright heart. If you're here this morning and your heart is upright, give me a wave. Then there's a shout that's to come from us this morning. Just put you on it then, didn't I put you into it? You know, there are times when we just need to say, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. And we think, well, what about the person next to me? Well, they should be shouting as well, so it really shouldn't matter. <laughs> and if they're not, guess what? They might start after you begin. I enjoy my shout-offs with Fiona Bassett. I don't know where she is right now. I don't think she's here this morning. But you hear from the back of the room, a hallelujah! That's probably Fiona. But you know what? There's a need for us all to shout, to give a shout of joy, a shout of victory, something from within that says, God, you've done it all. You're worthy of praise. I sit and I watch the rugby and I watch Wales play and I'm shouting at the TV. How pointless is that? But I think to myself, if I can shout at the TV, then I certainly can shout to God. There's nothing pointless about that. We laugh, we shout, we lift our hands, we clap our hands, we bow, we stand. All of these things are appropriate for all of us. There might be times of tears and weeping. That's okay. Psalm 6, 8 says, the Lord has heard my weeping. Psalm 39, 12, hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to my cries for help. Don't ignore my tears. There are times in worship when we just cry and it might be sadness. It might just be a recognition of what Jesus has done for us. It might just be because we're overcome with emotion and we couldn't really tell you what it was. But I just know, God, you're here and you've touched my heart. You've touched my life and tears come. We can't make ourselves cry. I'm not going to hand out onions at the door <laughs> and say, start peeling now, you know, when we feel like it's the right time. But there are physical things we do, expressions. And some of these things are initiatory. We do them. We choose to do them. And as a result, something changes. Times where it's appropriate for silence. Psalm 62 one says, My soul waits in silence for my God only. From Him is my salvation. How rare is silence in our modern age? But God wants us to know times of silence. And then this one. Dancing. 
Psalm 149, verse 3. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Psalm 150, verse 4. Praise him with the tambourine and with dancing. 2 Samuel 6, 14. David danced with all of his might. Dancing expresses joy and freedom and release. You know the first thing I did when I was told that I passed my driving test? I did a little dance. Because I thought, you know what? I'm free. Wherever this Peugeot 205 is willing to take me, I am free. But dancing expresses freedom. Not only does it express freedom, but also as we dance, we are set free. We're set free from what other people might think of us. We're set free from all of that stuff because, Lord, I'm dancing for your glory. And ask the musicians and singers to come back. We're going to have a time of, of response, and then we're going to have a baptism, and the children are going to go out after that. But I would love for us to respond practically now in expressing our praise and taking some of these things, standing, clapping, shouting, dancing, singing. We're going to give glory to God together. We're going to express, we're going to do the what of worship together right now. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet for a moment, please. The children have been brilliant listening to me talk. I know we don't normally do things this way around. But I really wanted us to understand the what we're here to do this morning and how we're going to go about that. And so right now, can I just ask you to close your eyes? And Lord, we're saying this morning, Lord, let our worship represent, Lord, who you are and what you've done for us. Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you would release among us a freedom to express our worship. I ask this morning, Holy Spirit, that any chains that have held back of self-consciousness or doubt or, or, or anything else right now or fear of what other people think, just break those things right now in the name of Jesus. And I just declare a fresh freedom and ability and willingness and readiness to worship you and express our praise. So we've looked at the what. We've looked at what worship is and and that expression and that gift of us giving ourselves and our heart and our minds and our bodies and our voices. But then obviously that's great, but that can't be in isolation. We also need to think about who we're worshiping. In fact, it's because of who God is that he's worthy of worship. And we've said before, the word worship comes from the old English word worthship. To give worth to something. And the only person, the only one who is more worthy than the pinnacle of creation, mankind, is God himself. And I, in fact, if we worship anything else, it's, it's not worship at all. It's, it's a debasement. We're putting things that are lesser than ourselves and making them greater than ourselves. And that's, that's debasement. God wants us to worship the one who is greater than us, and that's him. He's worthy, isn't he? And so we give ourselves, and we give ourselves to God. And and in these verses, it says this, know this, know this. You know, we talk about knowing, and sometimes we think about it being in our heads and and understanding, but actually that knowing that the the Hebrew writer will be talking about is is an experiential knowing, a knowledge. Nicky Gumbel talks about how he could get a book about his wife. I could get a book about Sarah. And uh, to steal his analogy, but I could open the first chapter and it'd be Sarah's incredible baking, and I could read about all of her baking and I, uh, Sarah's stunning beauty, and I could read about how how pretty she is and how beautiful she is and how stylish she is and how lovely she is. 
Then I could read about Sarah's ability to care as a nurse, and I could read about that. And then Sarah's ability to be a fantastic mother, and I could read about that. And that's great, but actually, knowing Sarah, living with her, being in a relationship with her, I see those things at first hand. And when we read the word, God doesn't want us to just know about him. He wants us to really know him. And it says this, know this, God is God or Yahweh is God, God is God or God is Yahweh. You know, in your Bibles, if you turn to Psalm 100 and just turn up that verse, it may say, well, it will say something different to what's up on the screen, but the sentiment is exactly the same. In my version, in the New Living Translation, in Psalm 100 verse 3, it says, acknowledge that the Lord is God. Does anybody have something similar? Does anybody have the words Lord and the words God in that, in that verse, in that line? And you can see there that Lord is written in capitals. Capital L and then small capital O, capital R, capital D. What does that mean? That's the direct translation for this, Yahweh. Every time you read in your Bibles, Lord, written like that, the original rendering is this, Yahweh. And what is Yahweh? Yahweh is Jehovah in, in, in the Greek, but it means, it means the I am, the eternal one. That's the name that God revealed to Moses when God sent Moses into Egypt and Moses says, I'll go, but I don't even know your name. Or he says, don't send me. I don't even know your name. And God reveals his name to him. To him. He says, I am. That's my name, my covenant name, my intimate name, my, my close name, Yahweh. But also then it says, the Lord, Yahweh, is God. And God written like that in the Old Testament is the word El or Elohim, which means the transcendent God, the God who is over all. And so we can see just in this very simple statement, and that's why the, the message says this, Yahweh is God and God is Yahweh. He's the same God, the one who is transcendent, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who is almighty, the one who is great and awesome and eternal and, and greater than all things and, and towers above the heavens is the same God as the I am. The one who's close and near. He's cosmic, to quote Rodney. And he's close. He's high and he's mighty. And he's near and dear. Isn't that wonderful? He's God. We were sharing in the prayer meeting a little while ago, and, and Stefan brought this word, and it was just this, just to know, be still and know that he is God to know him as God, to know him as the Almighty, to know him as, the, as Elohim, but also to know him as Yahweh. It means that I worship him from a place of relationship and revelation. Isn't that what Helen was just describing? She'd gone to church, she'd heard about God, she'd listen and, and read about God, but she never really knew him until just this year. And all of a sudden she can say this, I know Jesus and he's wonderful. Isn't that fantastic? And we can say that ourselves. We know him. He's made himself known to us. He's the creator and he's the redeemer. In Revelations 4 and 5, those two things I've said before, fuel worship in heaven. Creator and redeemer. And he's a transcendent creator. He's the God who said, let there be light or just light be. And all of a sudden, bang, the lights are on. He just says, stars, moon, sun, off you go. And he flings them out into the expanse and all of a sudden the universe is finished, is, 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 is filled 
with all these incredible um, planetary bodies and, and he just, from a word that he speaks. He's awesome. He's transcendent. He's, he's amazing. But he's also the same God who in the same story then goes into the dust of the earth and with his own hands forms and fashions, fashions Adam from the dust and then breathes his own intimate breath into his body to cause him to come alive and then takes a rib from his side and does the same, forms Eve so that they are made in the image of God together. He's Yahweh. He's close. We see that in creation. He's our creator and he's our redeemer. He's the God who defeated sin and death. He's the one who took the, all the, the powers of the heavenly realms and led them in triumph, in great public victory, made a show of them openly. That's what the Bible says. As he rose again in victory and he'd conquered sin and he conquered death, so again, Helen could say, sin doesn't have the final say in my life anymore. He's awesome. But he's also the one who came and called you and me by name and lifted us up and took us when we were far off and cleansed us and washed us. He's transcendent, he's God, and he's Yahweh, he's close. That's the who. That's who we worship. He's almighty and he's wonderful close. He's our, our close friend. He's our father. We worship him. That's the who that we worship. And then he goes on to talk about the how we worship. What is worship? Who do we worship? How we worship. It says this, enter with the password, thank you. It's lovely to be thanked, isn't it? I like it anyway. Make yourselves at home, talking praise, thank him, worship him. You know, I said earlier about how the what, what we do can produce something in us. We went to um, Conkers, which is a great place to take the kids. It's up in Colville Way. Conkers, it's an outdoor place. And they had these spiral tubes that go into the water. And as you crank the handle and turn it, water is pulled out of the pool and it starts to pour out of the spout that's on the land. Have you seen those things? Just like a spring and you, you turn it. And as you turn it, it draws water up and out and pulls water out. And, and sometimes the what we do will draw from us something that's already within. Because sometimes we're worshiping God and we're treating him like he's out there. When actually, guess what? He's in here. He's made his home in you. He's made his home in me. There's a well in there. And then the how comes. That I worship him. That I give thanks to him. That my attitude is is full of praise and thanks. And that I don't just say and do the right things, but my heart is in it as well. Jesus talks to the Pharisees and he says, you're like whitewashed tombs. John the Baptist says that to them. Whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look ornate and beautiful and clean, but on the inside, what are you? Dead. Didn't pull any punches. But that's not true of us because we are alive in Christ. And so what happens on the outside is only reflective and representative of the incredible work that God has already done in our lives. You know, one of the things that we've always wanted our children to do is have good manners and be polite. So from a very young age, it was always this. What do you say? Thank you. In your big voice. Thank you. But you know, it's like the thank you was, uh, kind of, was kind of got lost in the wind. Thank you. And then it's like, well, it's great that you said thank you, but the person that you're thanking needs to hear you. That's really important. So can you use your big voice, please? Or sometimes you might get a thank you. 
perfectly loud, but there's no heart behind it. And that's the important thing about our how, is that we come full of thanks, full of praise, full of worship, that there's this gratitude within us, and that thanks is this great catalyst into everything else that happens. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, give thanks to God in all circumstances, in the sun or rain. My life celebrates you are good. In the darkest place, I know that you can shine as bright as day. It's a song that we just sang. And Roger shared this verse at Bible Week. And he said, we don't give God thanks for all circumstances. Because not all circumstances are good. Thank you, Lord, that I've just sprained my ankle. No. <laughs> but in the place of having a sprained ankle, I can still give thanks to God in that circumstance. That we give thanks in all circumstances. That's the how, that's the the heart. And as we start to give thanks, as we start to praise God, something begins to change. Ephesians 5 says, be filled with the Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in your heart and to one another. What's What's Paul describing there? He's saying, when you gather together, let there be an overflow of thanks and begin to sing songs of gratitude, songs of praise. Thank you, Lord, that you've saved me. Thank you, Lord, that I'm redeemed. Thank you that you're my creator. Thank you that you're God and you're overall and I can trust you and I don't understand everything, but I'm not going to look at this situation in isolation. I'm going to look at the fact that you are good and you are God and you're overall and I'm going to give thanks to you in this circumstance. And shandabarostokuri and dastiria. Praise you, Lord. You're worthy of praise. Jesus, you're awesome. You're King of kings and Lord of lords. And guess what? I'm already feeling full of the Spirit. The environment in me starts to change. And then as we start to worship together, the environment we're in starts to change. I don't know what was going on in Kerry's situation. I don't know what was happening there, but I know this, that when we give thanks to God, when we worship God, when we exalt Jesus, when we submit our lives to His Lordship, when we worship Him, the enemy can't stand it and has to leave. It's powerful. And not only that, we create an environment and a setting where the Holy Spirit says, that is home from home. I remember what heaven was like. I know what heaven is like. And there's a bit of heaven here on earth because there's people here praising God. That's just what I know. That's home from home. I'm going to fill that place. That's the how. I can't remember where we were at. What is worship? Giving everything. Expression. Body, voice, everything to him. Who do we worship? We worship God who's creator and redeemer and worthy of it all. How do we worship? With joyful, thankful hearts where we give thanks in all circumstances. And as we do, things begin to change around us. And then lastly, I want to ask this. Why we worship? No. Have I got it wrong? Who we worship? My notes are wrong. Anyway, doesn't matter. God is sheer beauty. That's what it says. I love that statement. God is sheer beauty. All generous in love, loyal always and ever. You know, the refrain that's most commonly used in the, in the Bible to exhort us to worship is this phrase in the Old Testament, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Can we say that together? Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. That's the who we worship. And that's why we worship him as well. Both are tied into this. 
Roger said this at a Bible week. He says, God isn't good because he does good. God does good because he is good. God isn't good because he does good. God does good because he is good. God can't be bad. He said God can't hold any dodgy thoughts or or wrong thinking or there's no wrong motives in him. God is always good. Everything he does is good. That's a constant. And therefore, that's always that place, that point of focus to say this, God, you are good. And I'm going to give thanks to you because you are good. You are good even when I've been bad. You are good even when circumstances are bad. You are good even when other people are bad towards me. You are still good. And that holds me. He's good. He's good. He's sheer beauty. See, in creation, everything he created, he looked at it and he said, it's good. Why? Because he made it. It's the best it could possibly be. Because the one who is the best made it, created it. He is good. He's loving. He loves you. He loves you even when you hated him. He loves you even when you don't listen to him. He loves you even when you've forgotten about him, neglected him, turned your back on him, rebelled against him, or love him. He always loves you. And it's not based on what you do. It's because he's good. He's a God of love. If I could ask the musicians and the singers to come back up, please. He's good. He's loving. And he's faithful. Can you just put that last slide up again, Adam? Sorry, just... I'm going to read that last line. He's loyal always and ever. He's always faithful. Can we stand together, please? Just as we respond right now in worship, we're going to sing, Great Are You, Lord. And it says this, You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that's broken. Great are you, Lord. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church, and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.